I'm going to share with you guys this morning as we've been kind of going through the, some of the values that we have as a church and some of the things that we um, really feel like make us successful. And, and what I get to speak on today is doing church as a team. And so I was going to wear my Steeler jersey, but my wife wouldn't let me. I'm like, what better thing to wear when we're talking about team than a Steelers jersey? Um, but I'm going to go before God right now and just welcome him in his place and, and uh, as we go into this next part of our service. But Father God, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, that you love us. God, that you are here to guide us and speak to us, God. And we just pray that this morning you take your words, Lord, that you challenge each one of our hearts, you open our ears to hear, God, and our hearts to receive from you, and that we would be challenged and we would walk away, Lord, with, with a game plan of, of what you're going to do in our lives. And so we just give you this morning in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned before, I'm talking as doing church as a team. And so to get into this, I want to share a little bit of my background um, because this was something that was new to me. This was something that, that I had to wrap my mind around as I came to the adventure. And so my parents got saved when I was three years old, and I grew up here in Utah. And so we started attending a church when I was three years old, and the church that we started attending was a great church and really grew under that church. But one of the things that that, that church had is it had a pastor who was really in control. And, and we grew up in that church almost in fear of this pastor. I remember being afraid of him. Uh, to go around him, to talk to him. Um, he was just this, this icon of this church. And so from age three on, that's kind of my, my picture of, of what a pastor was, was this pastor. And, you know, I, I had a steady relationship with God. Our family was very involved. And uh, when I turned 18, um, I knew that God had given me a call to go into the ministry, and I knew where God was, you know, had this focus for my life. And I decided to go to a school in Louisiana. And so I went down to this school, and the school was named after um, the founder of the college, and it was a Bible college, and I was continuing my education there and the ministry and learning a lot there. Um, but this chancellor, the, the man that um, was the head of this college, had a moral failure. And so because of that, um, the college ended up fo- almost folding and, and a- ended up actually folding um, after a couple of years. And so we just saw this crumble because, again, it was a school that was based on a personality. It was a school that was based on one person. And uh, so I left there and headed up the Mississippi to Minnesota, where I finished my um, going to school at a Christian university up there in Minneapolis. And while going to school there, I got my first little glimpse into what teamwork um, church was like. Uh, I had some uh, good friends of mine that started a, a little Foursquare church and asked Daisy and I to come on staff as our youth pastor. Um, it was, I was still working a full-time job, still going to school, but then we came on at, at this little church and was really able to see church start to function as a team. And uh, we, we were with them just for a little while, and I knew that God was directing me, leading me. Um, my heart was always Utah. Having grown up here, um, I always had this heart for Utah. So I told Daisy, um, hey, we're moving to Utah. And she's like, what? Really? Utah? Um, but she was like, okay, I'm on board. If God's leading us there, he's, he's leading us there. And at the time we were both working, um, involved in ministry, doing very well and, and things were going great. And so we headed out to load up the truck and, and we're going to move to Utah. Um, one of the things that she asked me, she goes, she's always, do you have a job? And I'm like, no. She goes, do you have a place to live? I'm like, no. She's like, what are we doing? And I said, God's telling us to go to Utah. And by the time we, we had um, rented out our apartment, loaded up our truck, and started heading to Utah, um, I was given a place to, to live, um, found a job, 
And within a month of moving to Utah, um, I was asked to become a youth pastor at a church in the area um, to be able to go on full-time staff as a church. And so it was just like God was just leading us. But I went on staff at that church, and it was a great opportunity for us to start ministry here in Utah. Um, But I ran into the same stuff. I had a pastor that sat me down and said, you know, um, if you want to become, in his sense, he said, a, a real pastor, what you need to do is you need to learn how to do everything well. And you needed to be able to do all these things well, then you can step into the role of being a pastor. And so again, that took me back to this mindset of, I have to do everything. I have to be able to be all to everybody. And, and so I was just struggling in that. And um, through circumstances, some things happened. And um, we, we left that church discouraged, exhausted, hurt, and began helping out at a very, very small church where hardly anybody knew us. And stepping into this church role, um, just started working a job putting my resume out there and just praying, saying, God, I, do I still want to be a pastor? Is this really what I should continue to do? Is this something that, that you've called me to do? And in that time and in the time of interviewing and stuff, he says, you know, I really felt this challenge to start writing down what did I want to be a part of and what God was leading me to be a part of. And so Daisy and I spent that two years at a little church helping out, but writing down and really finding out what God was directing us to do and for us to be a part of. And that's where the adventure comes in. It was almost 10 years ago uh, that Eric um, had called me up and, and one of the other pastors asked if he could meet with Daisy and I and we sat down and we began to talk about church and about how churches were ran. And Eric introduced me to, to something that he developed a few years, 10 years ago, if not more, this thing called Best Acts. And Best Acts was set up and Eric had set this up to do church as a team. And it was like, it just blew me away. It's, it's one of the things I, that I desired to be a part of. I wanted, I wanted to be a part of a, a team approach to how church was ran and how church functioned. And so as he started just sharing this stuff with me, I was like, this is it. This is where I want to go. And not that the adventure is a perfect church because they still allow the Lees and the Kawamuras to come here, right? <laughs> um, but but it, it, was, it was hitting those things that, that were a challenge to me. And I remember Eric sitting me down and it took him a couple years to deprogram my sense of how church was ran, how to view a pastor, um, those types of things. And he'd always constantly catch, catch me and say, hey, what are you thinking right now? And I'm like, I know. I'm going reverting back to my old way of thinking. And it was also new to me to have a pastor that would come in and he'd plop down in my office and say, man, I need your advice. And I'm like, that pastors don't need advice from their youth pastors. You know, it was, it was me just trying to think this through. And so we're going to talk a little bit this morning about what it means to do church as a team. And as I started to get my mind around this and, and really encompass of what this meant at the adventure, I be, be, began to implement it in our youth program. And to this day, we have a great, great, incredible team of youth leaders that help me um, as a team just minister to our young people, that I don't have to do it alone. And so we're going to talk about that. In, in preparing this sermon, there's a lot of different ways that I could have went of why we do church as a team. Um, why other churches don't do it as a team. But I'm just going to pull out three points and just challenge you of why the Adventure Church does church as a team. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm going to start off reading. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as, they, as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so one of the, the aspects I see in this is as us doing church as a team is it takes relationships. It takes relationships is the first key. And you see this in the scripture of them coming together and it said all of them were together and they were eating together and they were doing the things together and said that God added to their, their, the church on a daily basis because of that. So relationships, the Bible says a lot about relationships straight from the beginning. As you read in Genesis, God started off with Adam. And Adam and God had this relationship and God created Adam. And yet God said, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He created Eve. And he created this another relationship here that now Adam and Eve had this relationship. And then God would come down on a daily basis and it said that he would walk with them in the garden. He wanted this relationship to happen. And so we see in the Bible that it started out as this relationship and how important a relationship was. And as we go into the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ that walks onto the scene. And Jesus Christ did what? He established a team. And if anybody could have done it on their own, it was Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the son of God. Why did he need people around him? Why did he have to have disciples? I mean, he was the one doing miracles. He was the one that was the son of God. And yet he developed this team around him. And I, I started thinking about this, about Jesus and the disciples. And, you know, I, I can only imagine um, some of the conversations that he had with those disciples. I mean, we get just a small glimpse of what was written down and what was recorded and what was shared with us through the scriptures of some of the conversations, some of the things that happened with the disciples. But they were together constantly. And I can, I can just imagine some of the talks they had and some of the, the deep conversations and some of the questions that these guys had talking with Jesus Christ. The word disciple in itself is the word methetes in the Greek, which means learner. Disciple means learner. And so as Jesus walked and as these disciples were learning from him, when he left, what happened after that? Did the disciples all disband and it just kind of fell apart? No, it said that after that, Christianity exploded. Because these guys were, were taught, these guys were learners, and they went out, and, and the gospel was spread. And, and we see that happening. We exist for his purpose, not the other way around. We exist for his purpose, not the other way around. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I always think of Mr. T when I read that part. Pity the man who falls. Um, Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so people can improve each other. We are richer, deeper, more meaningful people because of the valued others in our lives. Second Corinthians says this in, in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Relationships take work. And we get out of them what we put into them. They don't just happen. They're made. They're built. They're developed. And they're nurtured. You know, this was a, a crazy week for me. Um, not only youth pastoring here, I coached my son's baseball team. So we had practice. We had games. Um, did a youth sermon on Wednesday because, you know, I do our youth. And so I was preparing my sermon for that. But yet relationships are important to me. It's part of who I am. And, and, and how important they are is I didn't, you know, because I was so busy getting this sermon ready and all this kind of stuff, and I'm not going to meet with anybody. You know, Wednesday, before you started, Shigeo showed up and helped me set up the youth room. And we just were able to just hang out a little bit and talk and chit-chat as we got things ready for youth that night. 
Um, after youth, I was able to take David Kligman out, and we went out and were able to go and sit down and just talk ministry, talk about life, talk about things that were going on. Um, later that week, uh, Friday, I think it was, Scott Colbertson came and picked me up, and we went out to lunch and just were able to just hang out and talk and, and spend some time together. And, and it goes on and on. You know, that night, we went out with another couple, the Kokershites, and got to spend some time with them. And then last night, um, we call them Witchell, Whitney and Mitchell. They're engaged, so we kind of combined their name before they're married. But they came over, and we're able to just, you know, talk ministry stuff and, and build these relationships. But relationships are important, but you have to nurture them. You have to take time for them. You have to put the effort into them. So relationships. So there's a few points I'm going to pull out in developing relationships, and what I, what I call this is making investments. And you have to put something in to, to get an investment. And so the first investment of relationships is the investment of interest. Investment of interest means it has to be other-centered. Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. If you go into Barnes & Noble and you want to find some information about relationships, where do you go to? The self-help section. You know, that's, that's what the world views as, as relationships, is, is self-help. But if you go through the Word of God and it talks about relationships, it's about others-centered relationships. It's about focusing on others. Relationships. So two of the keys in, in building or investing uh, this investment of interest, the first one is asking questions. Asking question means there's genuine interest. So if you want to invest interest in someone, you need to ask questions. But the, the important part is what happens next. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you're going to ask questions, make sure you're listening. Make sure you're listening. So why interest in others? Because God is interested in you. God is interested in you. So the second investment you need to take in relationships is the investment of acceptance. Acceptance is the attention that I give you isn't conditional. If it's acceptance, it isn't conditional. Romans fifteen seven says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It means saying, I love you, Period. Not I love you if, not I love you when, or I love you because. It's saying I love you, period. So why acceptance? Because God accepts us just as we are. Aren't you glad? The third investment that we need to make in relationships is the investment of experience. And I was thinking about this, and what, is, what do I mean by experience? And experience is when we experience life together. And if you, have to, you have to invest in doing that. You have to take time in doing that. So I looked at my own life and I said, how, how are some ways that I invest in experiences? And one of those is, I say I play softball, but I don't get injured in softball. Right, Bubba? Um, one of the ways that I get to enjoy myself is something that I love to do, which is playing sports, and I get to play on the men's softball team when I'm not coaching my own son's team. But it's investing in, in this experience with them. Going to man camp. We have one coming up. And I get to take my boys and we go and, and pitch tents and you know, go fishing and hang around, around a fire and just talk about different things. It's a great way of, of investing in experiences with other men and their boys. There's a, uh, every Friday, I get together with some men and we have coffee and a Bible study. And it's really the first major part of it is us just sitting down just talking. Just talking with one another, building this relationship, hanging out with one another. And then we get into the word and we challenge each other with the word of God and pray for each other. But it's every Friday. I have this experience of, of spending some time with these, these men. Um, and then as a youth pastor, I, I get a lot of other experiences. I get to go to youth camp. 
build a relationship with teenagers. I go on retreats. We have uh, young adults that are coming over our house tonight for a Bible study that we do every other week at our house. And we have 20 to 30 young adults that come over and hang out and we eat food and then we open up the word of God and we have a time of worship. And it's those experiences that, that grow our relationships. And, you know, as we experience life together, I again started thinking about Jesus. And you think about his experience, those three years of having those disciples around him. You know, they traveled together. They ate together. They slept together. They camped out together. They sat around a fire together. You know, they did all those things. And I thought about it, you know, how deep were some of those conversations? And then you thought about it and how much laughter was there of them just being guys, laughing and joking. And then I started thinking, I'm like, you know, that makes me think, why did James and John get the nickname Sons of Thunder? And then it made sense. Think about that. <laughs> you have to, that's where my mind goes. I'm like, yeah, Sons of Thunder. No wonder. It was around, it was when they were camping out. Um, but why experience? Because God is on this journey with us. God is on this journey with us. When we go places like that, God is with us. When we're playing ball, God is with us. When we're taking that time to do that, God is with us. The next investment in relationships that we have is investment of honor. Honor is to revere or respect. Philippians 2, 3 says, when you do things, do not have selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourself. Romans 12, 10 says, love each other like brothers and sisters. Give each other more honor than you want for yourself. And I guess you have to be careful on the brothers and sisters because I remember the honor I used to give my brothers. Um, and I, it, it, I love my brothers, but I'm just kind of joking around that way. Um, but there was a, a book called The Gift of Honor and it had this quote in it and it really hit me. The lower the value we attach to a person, the easier we can justify dishonoring them by negative words or treating them with disrespect. So why honor? Why honor? Because God honors us. How does God honor us? He gives us a new name, right? When we step into accepting him into our life. And then what does he call us? He calls us his children. We're adopted into his family. And what greater honor is that than to be able to say, you know what, you're a part of me. You're part of who I am. So an investment of honor. The last investment in relationships is the investment of faith. Romans 1.12 says this, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Mutually encouraged by one another's faith. What are we learning from each other? What are we learning from those people that we have a relationship with? What are we learning? So why faith? Because we don't share in a religion, we share in a relationship, right? We don't share in a religion, we share in a relationship. So relationships are important. So relationships means that you invest in interest, you invest in acceptance, you invest in experience, you invest in honor, and you invest in faith. So that's the first part of doing church as a team is relationships, which brings us right to our second point. Because if you build these relationships, they're going to bring about unity. They're going to bring about unity. We're going to be unified because of relationships. John 17, verses 20 through 23. And this is, this is Jesus praying this for us, okay? This is the Son of God. He's, he's praying for all believers. And this is what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Being unified, being unified. So what is the church? The definition of the word church in itself is a word ecclesia. And the word church here uh, means meeting a people called out and summoned together. People called out and summoned together is what church is all about. So when we build these relationships and we start to work on that, God starts to unify us into a church which is being called out and summoned together. I mentioned before that I, I helped coach my son's uh, baseball team. And one of the first things that we did before we started batting, before we started throwing, pitching, fielding, we sat down and we talked about what it means to be a team. And one of the things we talked about and we told the boys is, and we said to them, you know what, guys? We win as a team and we lose as a team. We're not going to get to a game and we're not going to blame the umpires. We're not going to blame another player. Say, you know what? We all would have won if so-and-so didn't strike out. We all would have won if so-and-so you know, didn't do this or we, we would have you know, done... We, the only reason that we did win is because I hit a home run. And it really gets off the whole mindset of team. And team is, is we're all in this together. We win together and we lose together. And so there's, there's four, rule, four rules I put together um, based on teamwork. And the first rule is people matter to God. People matter to God. This connects to me to my last sermon I spoke a few weeks ago when I talked about us being connected to the vine and the vine being Jesus Christ, and the gardener being God. And, and we're connected to him because people matter to him. And John fifteen sixteen says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In a team, everyone matters. In a team, everyone matters, because God saved us and prepared us and put us a part of this so we can bear fruit. So we can see others come to know who Christ is. The second rule I came up with in teamwork is this, I titled this becoming self-aware. Becoming self-aware. And I'm going to explain what that means. I found this story and it fits so perfectly with this. And it's really going to be my closing theme um, is, is what comes out of this story. But becoming self-aware. And here's, here's what the story says. It says, don't forget who you are. There's an old story of a rabbi in a Russian city, at the turn of the century. Disappointed by a lack of direction and purpose, he wandered out into the chilly evening. With his hands thrust deep into his pockets, he aimlessly walked through the empty streets, questioning his faith in God, questioning the scriptures, and questioning his call to ministry. He was so enshrouded, enshrouded by his own despair that he mistakenly wandered into a Russian military compound that was off limits to any civilians. Just then, the silence of the evening chill was shattered by the bark of a Russian soldier. Who are you, and what are you doing here, he yelled. Excuse me, replied the rabbi. I said, who are you, and what are you doing here? After a brief moment, the rabbi, in a gracious tone, so as not to evoke any anger from the soldier, said, how much do you get paid every day? And the soldier replied, replied, what does that have to do with you? And the rabbi replied with a tone resembling that of someone who just made a new discovery in their life. He said, I will pay you the equal sum if you will ask me those same, questions, those same two questions every day. 
Who are you? And what are you doing here? So I ask you those questions this morning to ask yourself, who are you? And what are you doing here this morning? Who are you? And what are you doing here? So becoming self-aware, finding out who you are and what your part is in this, this world, what your part is in the body of Christ. So another rule of teamwork is communication. And, and having been a person that played sports and loved sports, the thing I thought of the, the best about communication is as a sports team. And if you've ever you know, kind of looked into it, sports teams are not just made up of the players, but they're coaches that do so much work behind it. And so I started thinking about football. You know, just a, a month or so ago, they had their draft, and there was people that were involved in drafting these players that were coming on their team. And then these coaches that sat down is, is inside of a football team, they don't just have a head coach, but they have all these different coaches that trickle down. You know, even individually, the quarterback has a, a quarterback's coach, a running back's coach, you know, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, um, special teams, and all these coaches work with those players, but they come together because they have to work under the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator because if they're just doing their own thing, it's not going to mesh. They have to be able to communicate to them you know, what their players' abilities are and, and who fits where. And then the offense and defense coordinator have to fit under the vision of the, of the main coach of the team. And so you have this communication that's going on, and it has to happen for the teams to play well. Otherwise, you have the Dallas Cowboys or the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Just kidding. I had to throw that in for Bo. Um, but communication, communication. You have to have that communication. George Barna put it this way, a major advantage of being led by a team is that the results almost always transcend what any individual from that team could have produced alone. And an individual doesn't win a championship in football or basketball. You have to have the team working together and all the things, the whole season being pushed together to even get to that place. And the same thing within the church it's not based upon just who identity is of the pastor of that church, but it's us working together as a team, ministering to people and seeing God do incredible things. So people matter to God, becoming self-aware, communication, and the last part of teamwork is working together, working together. Romans 12, verses four and five. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have to work together. The more each one of us takes ownership in the ministry of the church, the stronger we become. The stronger we become. We have what we call a a consumer Christianity mentality. A consumer Christianity mentality, which means we go from church to church, shopping for bargains, and filling empty baskets of expectations with programs and personalities. Once we find a church, we sit down and we consume. It's like going to Ira's favorite restaurant, Chuckarama, right? <laughs> and you go in there and you have a variety of food. It's not just one thing that you order off the menu, but you get to get, choose it all. And you go through and you just choose it and you walk away from there fat and happy, right? Probably with indigestion. Um, but it's so easy. It's just easy to go in there and, and just consume and then walk away. And one of my favorite meals of the year is Thanksgiving. And it's one of those things that, that I love at that time of the year because usually my wife is, is cooking something up, but it's not just her alone. She usually has people over and family over and there's five, six, seven, eight people all in the kitchen working together. And they're all working for the same purpose to create this incredible meal for me to eat. 
<laughs> for, for us to eat. But it's one of those things of, of them working together and, and there's the enjoyment of doing that together as a team and creating something and then sitting down and enjoying it together and taking part of it and being pleased about it and, and seeing that kind of stuff instead of just going somewhere and just consuming and consuming and then walking out and consuming and consuming and walking out. Is it more work? Yes. Will it be better for us? Yes. Could others benefit from it? Yes. Working together. So in doing church as a team, we start with relationships. Through those relationships, we become unified, which takes us to the last point I want to get across to you this morning. And this is, we're all unique. And God has made each one of us unique. And so I'm going to read in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. It says, the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is made up, made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so in this, as we talk about being unique, one of the key statements of our church is is on a poster over here. And on that poster, we have life world, and the big key one is dream. And Eric put that together, and he emphasized the, the dream part of it. And I'm going to pull my next three points out of what's written on the bottom of that. But if you read the statement that's on there about dream, it says this, the original design, purpose, and plans God has uniquely created for us to accomplish. So if I told you right now, take your shoes off and look at your neighbor's feet, but don't do it. But if I told you that, each of the feet are different, different smells, different looks, you know, some, some people's feet ache all the time. Some people have very healthy feet, you know, that kind of stuff. But they're all different, but they're all used for the same purpose. They all have a purpose behind it. And so we're going to be talking about that as of, of each of us inside the body. We're not the same. We're unique. And, and we have a unique purpose and a unique calling inside of that. 
And so the first part of that was to know. 1 Corinthians, and I'm not going to read this, but the first part of 1 Corinthians 12, I read the second half of it, but the verses 1 through 11 talk about the gifts that have been imparted to us as believers. There's gifts that are out there, and, and we try to, as, as a church leadership team, we try to give you some of the ideas of what these gifts are. And one of those ways we do that is um, Ira developed a class called Base Camp. And in Base Camp, um, we've sometimes done on a Sunday morning, sometimes on Wednesdays, but the base camp walks you through what we believe is a church, but also takes you through finding out what your gifts are. And then he takes us from there. Of you find out what your gifts are, and it says he, he challenges you to step out of the boat and get involved. And even today, we're helping you see areas that are available for you as a team member through our potluck. Uh, of just saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to sit down, build relationships, eat food together. But there's also ministries within this church that need help the desire help. And just like in that video, that kid was saying, you know, well, I haven't gone to seminary. I don't, you know, I don't have all these, these abilities and stuff like that. But what happens is, is we rule out what God can do through you and in you. The second thing that we offer um, is, is something we took the young adults through, but it's a blueprint class. And Eric developed this blueprint, I can't even say it, blueprint class. And this is a class that you find out your strengths, your gifts, your styles of learning, your passion, and, and you draw them out and develop your own personal mission statement about what God is calling you to do on this team. Gifts equal what? Passion equals where? And so you have to know, the next point on there was to develop. Develop Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And he goes on in verse 11 and 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, to prepare them. In this word, the, the word prepare is also the word equip. And in the Greek, it's kartisimon which means to mend. So the word prepare or to equip means to mend. And it's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, when James and John are mending their nets. Why would fishermen mend their nets? To catch fish, right? Because if their nets are, are opened up, the fish are going to get out. So they're, they're mending their nets. And so the same thing is being talked about as pastors, that we are here to, to mend the nets. I found a quote as I was going through this in a book that I was reading that it was an, actually one that Eric had read and, and given to me, and it had an Eric quote in there, and this is what the quote said. It said, mend us to send us. Mend us to send us. Here at the adventure, equip the people for the purpose of catching fish. So you, the, And then the second thing it talks about, they're mend us to send us to send. I tell the young people, the teenagers all the time, that who's going to have a greater advantage of telling your friends about Christ, me or them? You know, it would be kind of awkward if I showed up at school every day for lunch and sat down with their friends and tried to develop this relationship with, me, with them. And they'd be like, who's the old guy? You know, what's he doing here? Should he be here? Should I be worried? You know, but you develop friends as teenagers. You develop friends with your, the, the people that you're around, whether it's sports, whether it's science lab or all the different things that you're a part of. And you have the opportunity because of relationships to share Christ with them. And then as adults, it's the same thing. Eric used to say all the time, we're all ministers. Who has a better opportunity to reach your family than you do? Who has a better opportunity to reach your neighbors 
than you do. Your coworkers, your friends, than you do. Jesus' last words were to, to us were what? Go and make disciples. Go and make learners. And then the last point here as we close up is the, on the page, on the thing over there is the word pursue. I'm going to read out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me, heavenward, in Christ Jesus, to pursue. Has anyone here achieved his or her dream yet? But what did Paul tell us to do? He said, press on. Press on and do what? Forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. So why do we do the adventure as a team? Why do we do the adventure as a team? Is number one, to build strong relationships, which helps us to be unified while maintaining our uniqueness through the gifts and the dreams God has given us. So let me ask you again from that story I read, who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? Close your eyes and we're just going to go before God. And, and my challenge of sharing this sermon with you is not only to educate you a little bit about the adventure and our dream and our heart as leaders here and pastors here, that we are a team and we do church as a team. But my challenge to you this morning is to look at yourself and say, who am I and what am I doing? Am I just a consumer or is God calling me for something far greater than even I can imagine and I can do on my own? So Father God, we lift this morning to you, God. God, I pray that the challenge rings deep. Those statements are something that echoes in our life, God, of who am I? Who am I and what am I doing here? God, our life is so much bigger than just coasting. Our life is so much bigger than just getting the things in this life that we want out of it. God, I pray this morning that you dig deep into this body of believers, God. Lord, as we want this church to grow and not to grow based on the personalities that are up here up front, God, but based upon the relationships that are built amongst this team of people that are serving you, God, in unity, in their own unique fashion. God, call people this morning. Challenge people this morning, God, to find out what dreams you have for them. So God, we give you this morning. We give you everything you're going to do, Lord, inside of this body, inside of the people here. God, don't stop us from dreaming. Keep us moving forward. Help us to press on. And we just give it to you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you leave. Again, there's the, the tables that are out there that show you different ministry opportunities. There's a potluck to join in the food. We want to say thanks for the American Fork people. God bless you guys, and uh, have a great afternoon.